Hello and welcome back to my podcast, Rural America and COVID-19. Today, my guest is Sarah Mohadis. Sarah is a physician assistant in the St. Lawrence Health System here in St. Lawrence County, New York, and is a member of our inpatient COVID-19 treatment team in the St. Lawrence Health System. Sarah, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. First question I wanted to ask you, you are a physician assistant, and just to define the term for our listeners, the term advanced practice providers, or APPs, refers to nurse practitioners and physician assistants and other licensed non-physician providers, including certified nurse midwives, clinical nurse specialists, uh, certified registered nurse anesthetists, and others who work alongside physicians to provide medical care. And in rural areas, advanced practice providers or APPs are often much of the backbone of the medical community. This is the case everywhere, but in particular in rural areas. So APPs often play a prominent role in rural healthcare, um, including working as primary care providers, uh, working in many subspecialty roles. Uh, in my clinic, for example, two APPs work alongside me and help me meet the clinical demand of our region for rheumatology. Now, you, Sarah, are a hospitalist, and in the case of COVID, you're also one of a small group of APPs who have played a huge role on our inpatient COVID-19 treatment team. So can you start by describing for us some of the responsibilities that you have as a member of that team? Absolutely. Uh, so just a little bit about myself first. I've been uh, a PA for uh, four years now, for working at CPH since I actually became a licensed uh, physician assistant. Uh, and um, this is my first job. Uh, I went to the PA school here at Clarkson and rotated at CPH. And since then, I just fell in love with the setting here. And it's actually close to home, Montreal, where um, I am from. So uh, I've, been, I've been here since then. And um, because of where I'm working in a rural uh, setting, I've been incredibly fortunate to have a job where I can be utilized to my full potential. The APP hospitalists, uh, so our team is, we're about 16 providers within our team, including nurse practitioners, PAs, and, um, and physicians. And um, with more than 50% of that team is actually made up of APPs. And Sarah, um, you're referring to the hospitalist team now, not the COVID-19 treatment yes, team. Yes, just yes, a point yes. of clarification. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Um, and um, since the pandemic started and made its way up to rural upper New York, uh, CPH was incredibly proactive uh, in allowing the clinicians to form a COVID-19 uh, team. And um, since, since last February, when we started to have our first case in the hospital, I was fortunate enough to be, to be part of that multidisciplinary team that was built to tackle COVID-19. Uh, and it's been both incredibly gratifying and humbling to be part of this team for over a year now. Uh, so the way that, uh, that I work in the, within the team, uh, the hospitalist who is, uh, on service and within that team is usually uh, the primary uh, provider for these patients in the COVID unit. And uh, myself, I've been solely working in the COVID unit since uh, we started the, the COVID unit and team. And 
what I usually typically do is I will round on patients in the morning, uh, either personally or on the phone and uh, get together with the COVID team. And we usually do table rounds and uh, discuss uh, the patient and the treatment plan. And then I have uh, the privilege of having the direct um, uh, direct patient care with these uh, with these patients in the units. Uh, and what I think is incredibly unique about our COVID team and with COVID in general uh, is that this disease is completely novel to the world and every clinician and researcher has essentially the same level of knowledge and experience with it. So myself included, uh, every one of us has been able to contribute to the team uh, in its approach to providing the best evidence-based uh, medicine uh, to our patients. And um, because I have been working in, uh, with the COVID team since, uh, since last year, I've also uh, been fortunate enough to be part of the research aspect of it, which you yourself are the head of. And uh, I've been able to be sub-investigator on two of the trials, active one and active two. And um, I've been able to enroll many of the patients that I take care of in the COVID unit uh, in, in, these, in these trials. And I've been able to follow them while they're in the hospital. So uh, it's, been, it's been incredibly uh, gratifying and I've learned so much. Um, and that's, those are some of the responsibilities that I've had um, over the past year and a half with our team. And I will say as a, as a fellow member of that team, I will say on your behalf, Sarah, you are one of the core people on the team. It just, I appreciate just, it. Well, it really is true. It, as far as the quality of the work you do, how, how you're right, everybody on our team is now a COVIDologist. Yes. We're, we're, we're a small team. We've all seen a tremendous amount of COVID now. Yeah. Um, I won't give exact numbers, but we've all right. seen a lot of COVID. We've right. seen a lot of COVID, but we've also been that rare rural health system that has been involved in certain uh, major COVID clinical trials. And you mentioned Active 1 and Active 2. Let's talk about Active 1 for a minute. That um, is the immune modulators arm of the active program through Operation Warp Speed. And we are one of uh, very few, I will say, uh, rural sites in that, in that study. Can you tell us a little bit about what your role has been in helping recruit patients to that study? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so I'll be honest, at the beginning of the, the study, uh, when you had introduced it to us, uh, to, the, to the team, uh, I was a little bit hesitant uh, because some of the medications that are part of the study are, are completely new. Uh, and I think I had some pause in the beginning because I, I needed to make sure that I understand what the medications are, what they do before I could uh, recommend it to my patients. And um, what, after we started it uh, and I understood what these medications do and how important it is to have this study uh, in our hospital and actually have have the privilege to be part of this study. Um, and as you know, and the listeners know, uh, there is no cure for COVID, it's a virus. And uh, every single uh, researcher and clinician has been trying to find a way to, uh, to care for these patients and, um, and avoid uh, getting the complications and sometimes deaths from COVID that unfortunately we've seen all across the world. Uh, 
so I was very excited to be part of this study. And um, uh, after I was able to understand what eating medication does and its role, um, I tried really hard to explain to, to my patients how important it is to consider being part of this study. And once we were able to recruit uh, several patients and I, I didn't see any major complications, uh, that even gave me kind of more ammunition to, to recommend it to my patients. And so uh, my role uh, in that study was essentially talking to the patients about the study and kind of uh, in simple terms, trying to explain to them, you know, what the risks and benefits are. And as you know, in a rural area, I do think that our patient population is a little bit more hesitant uh, to want to try a new uh, medication or even be part of a clinical trial. Because in bigger hospitals, I think clinical trials are just part of the academic center. They're, they're always there. Patients kind of go into the hospital knowing that they might be part of a trial. But I think in a rural setting, it's just much more difficult to, um, to attract patients to want to be part of studies. And so we've been very successful um, in recruiting patients in the study. And so, um, I, I'm not sure exactly how, what the numbers are, but uh, that was my role uh, in, in, in being part of the active one and uh, following the patients during their hospitalization. But once they got discharged, uh, it was up to the research team and yourself to follow the patients in the, in the outpatient world. That's a very good point, Sarah. There's, there's a lot of press given to vaccine hesitancy in rural communities, but much less to research hesitancy and just kind of hesitancy in general at, at, at you know, as far as trusting the, the, the larger national medical establishment. And I think a lot of that comes from having been so under-resourced and kind of ignored for so long. You make this excellent analogy or not, you give this excellent example of a patient in an urban hospital, they're used to clinical trials. In a rural hospital, they've never seen them before. Yes. Um, and so th this, this long-standing neglect of, of, of rural healthcare has led to problems like that. It has led to, for various reasons, hesitancy. So my question is, in, in rural communities like ours, advanced practice providers play a huge role in the community. I would, I would think that at least half of our primary care providers in St. Lawrence County are advanced practice providers. I'm just taking a guess yeah. as just one example. And uh, since rural patients, like all patients, tend to trust their physicians and their, and their healthcare providers, I think that rural advanced practice providers are in, a, are in a great position to really change the face of rural health research in the future and to, be, and to serve as trusted messengers for patients and, and to play prominent research roles, just like you're a sub-investigator on two of these big clinical trials, um, I think there can be more of that. So my question is, what kind of roles do you envision for rural advanced practice providers with an interest in research uh, in, in rural communities in the future? Absolutely. So um, I, I am, I'm, especially interested in research before going to PA school. I was a research assistant for over five years uh, in, in the field of Alzheimer's disease. Um, and I've also done research and contributed to several publications in that field. So I've always had an interest uh, in clinical research because I've 
always found it so fascinating to be able to contribute clinically and both scientifically to the to the treatments that we uh, as clinicians uh, follow um, in medicine. But I do believe that APPs uh, as a whole can contribute greatly to research. I think, um, like I was saying, myself being able to enroll these patients uh, and being a, become a sub-investigator, I think is, is huge um, as, a, as an APP. And I think, I think uh, having that option uh, will both advance myself in my, uh, in my clinical um, profession and as well help uh, the research team, which you are part of, uh, be able to recruit and, um, and uh, recruit more patients in the study. So um, I, using my own role uh, as an example in, this, in these uh, large studies that I've been part of, um, being a, a sub-investigator, I've been able to recruit uh, patients and educate them uh, on these studies. And I think, uh, as you were saying, that there's, um, there is, there's disparity in, in rural health, as we know, and, and um, there's, a, there's uh, not enough uh, physicians practicing in a rural setting. And when it comes to research, I think there's even less of that, because uh, when you think about rural settings, uh, the, the biggest issue that is present is uh, lack of access to care and, um, and not enough uh, providers. And I think being able to have research in a rural setting is actually a luxury because it's hard to be able to even get the basics for these patients, but being able to bring research into uh, our community and being able to enroll patients in these studies, I think, I think is, is incredible. And, and we are able to do that um, because you have been a, such a pivotal part of the research uh, part of at CPH. And I think compared to larger academic hospitals, uh, research in rural settings looks a lot different. Um, the research team in a, in a academic center, uh, they have so many resources uh, and networks, and they have multiple uh, physicians who are who could be primary investigators, and they have a lot of help uh, in in uh, in doing the research and being able to enroll and educate patients on it. I think in a in a rural setting, um, you need to have. Uh, because there's such little resources, I think you have to have a very dedicated team who's able to uh, gain recognition and merit to become part of these clinical trials. And shifting to the outpatient setting and uh, APPs being part of research in the outpatient setting, I think having an APP on your team, uh, they can independently go to more remote, remote settings and areas uh, to promote the research and recruit patients. And then that allows and frees up the, the primary investigator uh, to be able to kind of um, address other issues uh, or, or more complex issues within, within the, the research that we're doing. Um, so I do know that APPs are utilized in bigger centers um, and, and, um, and hospitals for research, but I think an APP working in research in a rural area is much more crucial and in turn satisfying because of 
how much you're able to do and how many, um, how many patients you're able to, to reach uh, being part of the research team? I would credit our team's national success in Active One, Sarah, you're to be credited as much as anybody. For that. You've been, you, you really took the time to learn that study well. You and I talked about the immune modulators a lot. And, and I've got a background in immunology as, as a rheumatologist. You and I talked a lot about those meds yes. and you became an expert of those meds and, and really have been able to present that study phenomenally well to our patients. Um, and, and what's important to mention to our listeners is that for every time someone like Sarah or, or another member of our team you know, talks to a patient who does join the study, we have other conversations, multiple others when, when it doesn't work out for whatever reason, the patient doesn't want right. to. Um, and that's just typical of research, but, but for anyone to be able to present a study well to a uh, patient, they must first learn the study very well. And that's something that you, you did. And, 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 and I wanna ask you something more about that. So you're another, another uh, thing that I, I think is important to mention about your example is that you came here, like me, we both, we both didn't grow up in the North country. Um, in fact, both of us have Middle Eastern names from different parts of the Middle East, but we're, we're both from, uh, we both have an international background and we both ended up here in the North country um, and we both love it here. Um, in your case, you came to train as a PA at Clarkson University right. here in Potsdam and you stayed. And I think Potsdam's PA program, physician assistant program is a great example of something I'd like to see more of, which is training programs in rural communities so that those training programs can supply the health systems in those rural communities with, with, with providers. Because one of the big problems in particular, with in the in the world of medical subspecialties, uh, rheumatology, for example, is most of the fellowships are in, most of the training programs are in urban areas, and trainees tend to remain where they've practiced. Um, so, since you you came from a local training program and you stayed, let me ask you this question: Should we be training rural providers in general, APPs, physicians? Should we be training them differently? And should we be having an eye on research as part of the training? So for example, should a PA who trains in a rural area not only have somewhat different clinical training because being a clinician in a rural area is different than being a clinician in an urban area, but should they also have training in rural health research so that if they want to be involved in research, they can? Yep, um, actually, uh, my program the, at uh, Clarkson um, has a research uh, rotation. So uh, every single one of us uh, does have to conduct a research uh, in a rural setting. So uh, we have a five-week rotation where uh, we team up with uh, somebody in research locally. We also have research advisors uh, within, uh, within our, our university. And we have to come up with a research question and try to conduct a study. So a lot of uh, my, my um, classmates uh, did questionnaires for patients and it all had to do with 
how they see medicine in rural settings. So a lot of the research questions were was, was rural or um, driven. Uh, and I do think that, and again, this is my own opinion, I, I do think that it's something that should be part of uh, the education for APPs, for PAs, um, specifically because I'm a PA, but I do, I do think it's very important. And I think if we're, if we have that as part of the, the, the program for PAs, once that, once we're, we're graduating and we're providers, we, we have the option to then uh, be able to be part of research and, and, um, and understand how research works in general and specifically in rural settings. Cause I, like we were talking, it's very different than an academic center. I, I have been part of research uh, teams in academic centers and it's just a big machine. I mean, every everything is in is in place, and and everybody knows their roles, and and it's it works very well because there's so many people involved, and they have so many so much more resources and networks. Uh, I think in rural areas that's very difficult to do, but in the same token, I think it's so much more gratifying, and 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 you get more job satisfaction. Uh, when you're able to bring research into the rural area. And I do think that makes your, your patient population more trustworthy of, of their healthcare team because they feel that they, they are important enough for research to come to this area uh, and that they can actually contribute to some, some, uh, some, you know, some changes in the medical field. And I think that's incredibly important. So, um, I, I do think it's important. Um, I do think it's important to have that option for for APPs, just as there you have that option for physicians. Do you think, since um, at Clarkson uh, everyone does five weeks of research, do you think if someone were to have a really deep interest in rural health research, uh, a, a student in Clarkson's PA program, just as one example, mm-hmm. that maybe an option might be to have. Um, another master's program or even a PhD in rural health research that, that APPs could, could, could go to. We have MD PhDs. We could also yeah. have PA PhDs. Um, I'm, I'm just thinking here about ways to really build the rural health research workforce because you're someone with a deep interest in rural health research. And I'd like to think of ways to make more, more Sarah's. More, more, more of you, my friend. It, yeah. You know how, how do we how do we provide the training opportunities that that, that we need? And there's, it, it, it may not be a question we can even answer here, but but I'm just I'm just thinking aloud that it would be nice to see more of what you're describing practical rural health research done. Yeah. Like in an academic center, they have these well-oiled machines, and yet I've mentioned this before on the podcast. There's no academic position. No urban physician, and I'm I was I'm an example of this. When I was in Seattle, I didn't understand this, even though I, I thought maybe I could. You don't understand the lack of resources, the the the, the reality of not having uh, a subspecialist to turn to when you need one. You don't understand that till you've done it. So to have academics trying to solve rural health problems seems misplaced to me, like like, like misplaced resources. You you. you you need to be here to understand and you, you need to have true rural providers, rural clinicians driving rural health research. And that's why I wonder if 
PAs in a program like Clarkson who were interested, who were going to go out and serve their communities as PAs, but really wanted to have a research role. If there might be some way in the future, we could provide training opportunities for them in their communities. I mean, Clarkson's an excellent research university. There's no reason why it couldn't one day sustain, for example, a PhD program in rural health research or a, or a master's program that, that its PA students could, could then go into. Um, what do you think about, about ideas like that? Yeah, I, so uh, there, there's something a little bit similar, but um, it's, I, I, don't, I don't know how research uh, involved it is, but so PAs, uh, it's, it's a master's degree for the most part. Um, and there is an option to, go, to, to uh, get a doctorate um, as a PA. So you get a doctorate in, um, in physician assistant studies but that doctorate is mostly research. Uh, so from the, from the PAs that have taught me who have their doctorates, it's usually, it's actually mostly online, but you do have some in person, but the, for the majority of your, of your education, you're actually learning how to, uh, to conduct a research uh, study within the AP, within the physician assistant world. So um, a lot of them have done uh, studies on maybe job satisfactions for PAs, but I think that could definitely be uh, shifted and kind of address the rural issues and research in, in, in rural areas um, as part of the doctorate degree. So I do think there is, there's a foundation for that. I do think it's possible, um, but I also, I also think that research has to be, in the PA program, they don't really talk about research. It's not, and even our five week program, because it's such a short period, we don't really delve into research and understanding what clinical research is. Uh, because I think there's two different types. There's kind of the more, more scientific research where you're punching in data and you're, you're uh, getting results, but clinical research, I think, is much more satisfying uh, for a clinician. And I, I do think if it's presented a little bit differently um, to, to PA students, and they're able to see that they could actually be a, a sub-investigator, and they could actually have a major role uh, in, in, a clin in a clinical study, I do think that's, that's a huge incentive for them to be part of it. So I think it could happen. Um, and I, and I, and I, my hope is that it will in the future, but I, I do think that we still have some work to do because PAs in general are still not completely understood in the medical model and how they can be utilized. So I think, I think we still have some way to go, but I do think that one day that option is going to be available, uh, especially when, when PAs are available to do research and, and, and having that background and that education, I think will be um, incredibly helpful in the rural setting. Yeah, I, I agree. PAs play such a, APPs play such a huge role as we've talked about already multiple times on this call in, in rural communities um, that it, it makes all the sense in the world to have them play a central role in rural health research as well right. um, in, in helping um, design novel systems and models for, for, for rural healthcare delivery. 
I think our COVID-19 treatment team is actually an excellent model of an effective rural healthcare delivery team. We've got this small number of physicians, all of whom, whether they're specialists or subspecialists, have a generalist orientation. We have a small group of highly effective APPs. Um, we all work together on research. We work together on, on, on seeing patients. And we're small enough that we know each other uh, very, very well. Um, and I think a lot about some of the failures in medicine in general in the US and how some of the lessons we've learned from our COVID-19 treatment team might solve not just rural American or, or rural healthcare problems, but, but general ones. Like for example, a common problem you'll see anywhere you have a lot of subspecialists is what I call the eight subspecialist team, which is that patient who has a subspecialist for, uh, for, for, for this small thing and that small thing and this small thing and that small thing. And all of a sudden the, the patient has six, seven, eight, nine physicians and nobody sees the big picture. Mm-hmm. And it's a very big problem that everybody listening to this podcast certainly is familiar with. And the care is not good mm-hmm. most of the time when you have what I call the eight physician team. And so you get a team like ours where for the first eight months, we only had on most calls, three people. We had a hospitalist talking about the physicians. Now we had an ID doc. We had me a rheumatologist until December of last year. And then we had one extra excellent pulmonologist who has joined our team, but still, it's still a relatively small team, even post December. Um, And we had a small group of APPs. And because we had this small team, everyone, and, and everyone had this generalist orientation, we felt very comfortable discussing cases. Nobody had their own little small bailiwick that nobody could intrude on. Nobody felt scared to ask questions about somebody else's area. It led to very open dialogue, um, excellent debate. An APP had no problem arguing with the rheumatologist who had no problem arguing with the hospitalist who had no problem arguing with the ID doc. And it was all done in a very congenial manner. And we solved pretty much every problem we had. Um, Very rarely did we have to call for outside help, in particular in the first eight months of the pandemic. And we did, I think, quite well. And so I think about that small group of generalists model as a very good model for treating patients in general. And when I think about ways to structure recovery efforts from COVID in in rural areas, just ways to deliver healthcare in general in rural areas, I think that that model from our COVID team is one that's worth looking at. And you and I, of course, are both co-authors on a a paper that's now in in press, um, which talks about this a little bit more. Um, But, you know, I, I, I guess my question is, what lessons do you think we can draw from our team's model as far as ways teams can work together, as far as ways that APPs can play clinical and research roles? What can we extrapolate from this uh, going forward? Um, I, 
it it's it's very interesting i think i think what we developed our our team um is is very unique um it was it was so great to watch uh multiple specialists and uh the internists and the apps come together and build a model that was highly efficient and effective um as proven by the 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 low COVID-19 related deaths or even complications and always being up to date with the latest uh, scientific based treatments for COVID or uh, how to work up a COVID patient. And I think each one of us with our backgrounds uh, was able to contribute something to the team. I think perhaps why this, this worked so well was because of what we were we were tackling. I think, like I mentioned, uh, because COVID-19 is, is, is a completely novel disease. And we all went into this learning about COVID as we went along and none of us really knew more than the other when it came to, uh, to this disease and, and its complications. And I think because all of us were so humbled by this and how there, there is something in the world of medicine that nobody in the world knows anything about and we're all learning about it together. I think that allowed us to, to have such a successful model and group. And I think even as we went forward and, and some of us were able to contribute more like yourself and some of the medications that like a Temra that, that, um, that was being proposed for the treatment of COVID and you being a specialist in that, I think even even with that, we were still all able to discuss the cases together and everyone had to agree with, with what the plan would be for the day. And the, the hospitalist, whoever it may be, was the person that, that sort of carried it out. Um, so I, I think there's several reasons why it was so successful. Um, and I haven't worked at, uh, at a tertiary center, uh, but I have rotated a few and, and, and this model that you're describing is exactly how it works because you have one, one primary team you, and it's usually the hospitalist and you have multiple specialists that are involved in the care of the patient. And unfortunately, when you have multiple chefs in the kitchen, kitchen communication is lost and uh, patient care can be delayed or even compromised. Um, and I think it would be great if we could have this type of model. Uh, I think it would be a little bit more difficult in a, in a larger setting, because I do think that there's so many specialists and none of them really have time to talk to each other. Um, and I'm sure some might agree with, with, uh, with one another. So it might be a little bit difficult to implement this in a, in a tertiary center where things have, already, have been working a certain way for a very long time. But I think looking at this model for rural settings, I, could, I think it could be incredibly invaluable and I think it could work. And this, this uh, paper that you mentioned uh, is, is all about this type of model. And because there's so, many, so little subspecialties in, in remote areas, even more remote than ours, I think having a team like this who can uh, help more rural areas or, or remote areas with their patient care, uh, I think is also um, something to think about. 
and and that that was the kind of the, the basis of the the paper that you wrote. I I would like to think that it, it could work, uh, but I do think it it has to involve uh, a team that is able to work together and um, is able to openly discuss issues without you know hurting one someone else's ego or stepping on on their on their um, on their feet. Uh, I do think in rural settings, we could use this model. I really do. And, and as a hospitalist, uh, it would be ideal for me. And when it comes to my patient care, because if I'm consulting multiple specialists, if they're doing something without telling me, and I'm not aware of it, or they have a plan for the patient, and there's not communication, um, in the end, the patient suffers. Um, So I think we've just, it's just been such a incredible, uh, incredible team that we built. And it's just the way that it, that it came together was, was so unique. And myself, I've learned so much being part of the, part of the team. And I think you learn from each other. Um, so I, I would like to think that this could be replicated, but, um, it may be a little more difficult in, in much bigger settings and bigger hospitals. I think you're right, sir. I think that in rural America, we actually, we have a blessing and a curse. We are so under-resourced that in many ways, our healthcare system resembles that of a developing nation more than the rest of the US. We have so few subspecialists, almost no research. Rural and non-rural healthcare have evolved differently and they're in completely different places. And that's the bad part of things. But the good part is that we have this tremendous opportunity to learn from the mistakes of urban healthcare mm-hmm. and perhaps build a rural healthcare system that looks pretty good. It's gonna be hard, it's gonna take a lot of work and a lot of vision, but, but, but it is an opportunity. Um, and I'll close with one final question for you uh, with that in mind. If you were to envision an ideal rural healthcare system of the future, Sarah, how would it look? This is a very difficult question. Um, I, I think it's very, there, I think there's four fundamental things that I think is needed to have a rural health system that works. And this is just based on my own experience and what I've seen uh, in the past four years working in this area. Um, I think to have a successful uh, healthcare system in a rural area. The most important thing uh, is structure. I think you need to you need to have a structure to 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 form a, a healthcare system, and that comes with funding. And I think government funding um, it is the most important because if you don't have funding, you're not able to uh, to 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 develop the system or the hospital. So I think it starts with proper funding from the government, and I think the government's government prioritizing rural areas um, when it comes to to healthcare, because um, the healthcare costs, the the cost of rural areas to healthcare is is tremendous. I mean, uh, and and, and your listeners and yourself know this, it's, it's, uh, it is a huge part um, of of why healthcare is so expensive um, in, in this country, and I'm sure other countries that that do not have enough funding to do to rural areas. So I think first the structure needs to happen that that's coming from government funding. And um, 
how how much they're allocating resources to to rural areas. Uh, once you have the structure and the funding, then you need the people, which those are the providers. So I think I think provider recruitment uh, needs to be done properly. And one thing that I've noticed, uh, I think rural medicine is truly an entity of, by itself compared to medicine in general. And in for a, I can speak for PA program, we never were taught anything about rural health. And I know that in medical school, uh, it's something that should be a, a, a large, a big portion of the, the medical education for medical students. And I think exposures, a lot of the, the medical um, professionals, physicians, APPs, never really have, have experienced working in a rural setting. Uh, so I think the exposure is extremely important. So I do think that going forward, if, if uh, medical programs and, and, PA pro and APP programs have a rotation for their students, the, a mandatory rotation in rural areas, I think that will give them the exposure. And if they're able to see how it works in a rural setting and how, how satisfying it is to actually take care of patients in these settings uh, with such limited resources, they may be attracted enough to want to pursue a, a, a position in rural health once they, um, they graduate and become providers. And I think the third thing that's, that's, that needs to happen is, is access for, for patients and access to, to health care. And I think that's also lacking uh, in rural areas. Uh, and by access, I mean programs where patients hope maybe there's transportation uh, programs or you can have home visits or uh, just just a funding for more access for patients to uh, to um, health care. It could be small clinics in rural areas, but I think having the access is very important as well, because if you have a hospital and the providers, but the access is limited, I don't think patients will be able to get the care they need. Um, and the fourth thing that that in my own in my own practice, I've seen is so important is patient education. Uh, I think providing good uh, preventative education for patients leads to better patient compliance and their willingness to seek medical care, because uh, knowledge is power. And if you empower your patients to kind of take ownership of their own healthcare and, and understand why they need to be they need to do yearly checks, why they need to control their blood pressure or why they need to have a certain diet. I think that gives them the power to, to be very involved in their own uh, healthcare and actually want to seek care. So I think, I think there's just, these four things are, are incredibly important from what I've seen working in this area. Um, and when all these things come together, then then you have the chance to have uh, a healthcare system in the rural area that could actually work. And you, Sarah, are a great example of a great, not just clinician, but patient educator. That's, <laughs> to go back to Active One, that's something you've done so well. Right. Um, and it's a great example, actually, of, of uh, a study that seems scary in the yes. setting of a disease that is scary. And then having somebody who has really done their own research to understand that study, who is a trusted messenger, delivering a message to the patient that, that then brings confidence. Right. Um, and 
Sarah, to you for all the work you have done. Um, thank you and for your time today. Thank you. I wish you the best. Thank you very much. And I want to thank you for having this podcast and and actually this this vessel for people to understand what rural medicine is. And I think I think the more people know about rural medicine, I think the more they may want to be involved and actually be attracted to, to rural areas. So thank you for doing this. I know you're very busy, but uh, but the very you're very much appreciated in this community. Vice versa, Sarah. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you very much.